You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. Hi, I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, host of Closer to Truth. For more deep discussions of cosmology, consciousness, the multiverse, free will, scientific breakthroughs, raw existence, and much more, I invite you to become a member by signing up at closertotruth.com. Registration is totally free, and you'll get benefits like early access to new episodes, tailored video recommendations, discounts on events and programs, and inside updates via our email newsletters. Again, sign up for free membership at closertotruth.com and click on Join. We appreciate your support of Closer to Truth, and we're excited for you to see what we've got coming up this year. Do I disappear at death? My body, sure, it's gone. But my awareness? Does my consciousness end forever? Of course I think about death. Who doesn't? Hi, Mom. How you doing? My 94-year-old mother advises me, how can there be life after death? We'd have heard from Dad. An afterlife seems so unknown, or so unknowable, or so absurd, that tacit acceptance, or resigned ignorance, or disdainful rejection is just good enough. But that's not just good enough. Forgive my self-interest, but to me, nothing is more important. Do persons survive death? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my determination to find out. How to assess the reality of an afterlife? Explored in diverse ways. Science, religion, skepticism, spiritism, history, philosophy. I begin in San Francisco with a scientist who challenges conventional wisdom. Charles Tart is an expert in altered states of consciousness and in parapsychology. That might make me skeptical. But Charlie says he won't fool himself. And that's why he puts claims of life after death to scientific test. I'm still a skeptic. Charlie, I think on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, my scientific training comes to the fore. And sad as it may be to say, this life is all we've got. But I don't know, Tuesdays, Thursdays, maybe Saturdays, I'm thinking that that can't be right. I, I'm, I'm this self-conscious being. How could I not exist? And the last day of the week, maybe I give myself a break and don't even think about it. 
I'm kind of amused because you've essentially repeated the comment of one of the greatest mediums who ever lived, Eileen Garrett, uh -oh. who was investigated scientifically many times, and she apparently channeled surviving spirits and all that. And when asked toward the end of her life what she thought about it, she said on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, she thought it was just what it seemed to be. She was channeling spirits. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, she thought the psychologists were right. Her unconscious mind was impersonating all these things and whatnot. Well, I'm glad and I'm Sunday, at least the opposite tried, of what Sunday, she said. she tried not to think about it. <laughs> I don't remember ever reading or hearing Eileen Garrett's Days of the Week conjecture. Undoubtedly, I did. My repeating it is too coincidental. It's an example of how the normal probabilities of life can scheme to haunt us. The expected masquerading as the extraordinary. You can talk about afterlife in terms of what do various religions believe, but again, as a scientist, I prefer to try to go back to data. What can we actually find out about this? And there are two kinds of data. One is things like near-death experiences where people feel they got a glimpse of what the afterlife was like. You have no idea how accurate that was. The other is the work of spiritualist mediums who claim to channel the souls of people who survive death and who will then tell you about what it's like. Now, this gets real tricky because you don't know how much of this is indeed imagination. I don't think there's been enough work to come to a real conclusion about whether anybody actually survives death, but there's enough evidence that I wouldn't just dismiss it. Most religions have an afterlife as a component, and some would point to that enormity of tradition as demonstrating the reality of it. No. Uh, years and years of tradition are years and years of tradition, but whether that's truth to begin with or whether it's a fantasy to begin with and a zillion years of elaboration of the fantasy, I don't know. I want to keep going back to data. What do people actually experience? It's the interesting exceptions like this mediumistic data that suggests some communicators have survived death or the extrasensory perception that seems to indicate there's more to us than just brain functioning. I know that as human beings, sometimes we can read another's mind. Sometimes we can pick up the state of the physical world at a distance. Sometimes we can know the future. Sometimes we can affect the physical world directly. Those sound like the kind of characteristics of some kind of critter that might indeed survive physical death. We should be investigating the experiences that people call soul or something like soul and not just throwing them out as impossible. That sounds like a ghost in a machine. It certainly sounds like a ghost in a machine, so let's investigate the nature of the ghost <laughs> instead of trying to exercise it. <laughs> when it comes to surviving death, I'm with Charlie in resisting all dogmatism. But life after death is such an incredible claim, so far beyond our personal experience and collective evidence that the burden of proof must be placed on those who say it is true. Yet why should only scientific evidence justify survival beyond death? Most religious traditions agree on the reality of an afterlife, even though on almost everything else they disagree. I cannot dismiss this vast witness of human history particularly the claims of Christianity, that an afterlife is real and robust. 
I meet a leading Christian philosopher whose analytical approach to traditional belief exemplifies careful, if not critical, thinking. Richard Swinburne, Emeritus Professor at Oxford. The evidence must come from revelation, that's to say, I don't think any uh, very much of alleged a priori alleged arguments from the nature of the soul uh, that it is essentially immortal. Some, many philosophers have given such arguments in the past, starting from Plato, but I just don't think those arguments work. There are good arguments for the immateriality of the soul, but not for its everlasting existence. The evidence must come from revelation, that is to say, some prophet must teach us that there is life after death and God must put his signature on the teaching of that prophet to show us this. Well, almost every prophet has said that, virtually every religion, but what does that mean? Well, the question is whether there's evident signature from God on the teaching of such a prophet. I happen to think there is in the case of, of Jesus because there the resurrection is just such a signature. It is the foundation event of the Christian religion. It is better authenticated historically than any other alleged foundation event of any other religion, purportedly miracles. Other than the resurrection of Jesus, do you have any other good evidence that you would submit to a court of law for the existence of an afterlife? No. Suppose we are just a body. What then of an afterlife? I think that uh, it would be very difficult for us to have an afterlife in these circumstances because uh, consider what happens to bodies when they are buried or more often these days when they are cremated. Uh, much of the body is turned into energy and this energy mixes with other energy so that there's no individuality in, in energy. And therefore, what would constitute a future person being me in these circumstances? And what does make uh, what the future person's body mine will be that it is connected to my soul. But if there isn't a soul for it to be connected with, I don't see the body how in its own can constitute me. Richard is unambiguous. The evidence of survival beyond death must come from revelation. Now, I may choose not to believe in the same revelation, but I respect Richard's assertion that the only submissible evidence for an afterlife is the resurrection of Jesus. Yet with all we know about the brain, generating all of our perceptions and awareness, an afterlife seems absurd. To some, all talk of surviving death is nonsense. I visit an incisive skeptic who skewers anything he deems superstition. Physicist Robert Park. Bob, is there any evidence for life beyond the grave? When people want to believe something, it's awfully easy to fool them. They really want to believe. All you can do is debunk these things. There's absolutely no reason to believe anything about an afterlife. Uh, nobody comes back. Now and then somebody claims to have come back, but none of this is ever verifiable. It's used to manipulate people.
You know, if you perform the right rites, you, you will get into this afterlife. And otherwise, boy, that's not good. So it's that desire to believe. We all have that desire to believe. It's, it's built within us. But does, does that desire, because it's in us, indicate that it may have some reality to it because we have the desire? This, in fact, is, is often a claim that, look, the knowledge of this has been planted in your heart yes. by the holy angel. And this is nothing more than survival instinct. As wonderful as heaven is painted, people don't seem anxious to get there. This is a painful planet. Life's not easy. It's not easy for anybody. And most of us are going to leave it on a terrible low. And to make that easier, you, uh, it's easy to imagine that, well, this is not really the end. But it is. But it is. It's sad, but it's not so sad, really. I mean, we get a shot at this. Look, we're not here for a reason. We're here because of an accident. And yet, we have the privilege of examining this whole universe and finding out what's going on. We can learn. That's not much to offer, maybe, but it's all there is. Survival beyond death is at stake, and I am thumped by the stark antagonisms of the clashing positions. Science, no afterlife. Religion, big afterlife. Parapsychology, maybe some kind of afterlife. My head skews to science. My hope skirts to religion. But religion is never pure revelation. It comes to us as history via written records and oral traditions. What's the history of the afterlife in Judaism and Christianity? I visit James Tabor, a leading scholar of early Jewish and Christian beliefs. James, we've been friends since our early 20s, uh, getting near 40 years now, and I really come to you as an old friend and to, to tell me what have you learned during these decades when I've been off wandering in some other worlds. I like to begin with the Bible. The surprising thing about the Bible is the first story we've got, the Garden of Eden, as we understand it, historically at least, it's a story about how humans are not going to get eternal life. Remember Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. There's an angelic guard at the gate, lest they should eat and live forever. Now that's tantalizing because you think, well, maybe they will later. But as you read on the story, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, these people die. Nothing said in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, about them going to heaven, about them being raised from the dead. So in most of the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the concept of an afterlife is... is it's it's it, shocking. It's not there. You know, and people just assume, well, all these good folks that serve God must have lived forever. And do you realize in the Torah that Moses was given, there's not one word The first ever, five books of yeah, the Bible. Of, uh, you will have eternal life or <laughs> you'll go to heaven when you die. During the time of Jesus, it's still a controversy. He apparently believed in resurrection of the dead. But a whole group of rabbis at that time, we call them Sadducees, said, no, 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 that's, that's that new idea that the Greeks <laughs> have brought in. Yet you come to the New Testament, and particularly Paul, it's absolutely built on the notion 
of immortality and eternal life. Is it a development or, or a contradiction? Is it, is it yeah. a total uh, a change in view? I don't think it's a development. Greek thinking begins to, uh, I'll use the word infiltrate, and I don't necessarily mean that negative, but just to come into Hebrew thought. We're dealing with the concept of an afterlife, but there are two radically different kinds of afterlives. One is, the, is that we are an immortal soul, that we have an inherent immortality in us. The other is this concept of a resurrection. Now, both are an afterlife, but they have radically different characteristics. Right. And does that help us understand the, the Hebrew Bible? It does, because the, that resurrection idea was uh, ridiculous to the Greeks. Why would you want to resurrect the shell, the prison, Socrates called it, right. and bring that back? You've escaped and gone to heaven. Right. Now, the Hebrews are sticking more with their heritage. Death is death. Death is not life. If you die, you go to this underworld, Sheol. So the question comes, could God raise the dead? Could God bring back the dead? And certain Jews in the first century and 100 years or so before Jesus begin to say, yes, he could. Then they've got to have a huge debate over, well, how would that happen? And what kind of a body would they come? And what would it look like? And Paul gives a kind of definitive answer for Christians, at least. He says, that's a foolish question. God will give them a body as appropriate to them. <laughs> and that's sort of been what Christians have stayed with. What happens is as centuries go on, people go back to the idea of an immediate afterlife. Mm -hmm. You know, you bury a loved one. It's fine to talk about someday at the last great day, mm -hmm. grandma will come forth from the grave. Mm -hmm. But I think the preachers also begin to say things like, no, grandma has gone right now to be in heaven. Makes you God. feel better. Makes you feel better. So I think resurrection as a original Hebrew Christian concept is, is completely lost with most people who are even Christians or Jews today. So Jim, he, here are the possibilities. We have immortal soul, we have resurrection of the body. Those are two possibilities. They can be either one or the other. I guess you could have both, and certainly you could have none, which is the prevailing right. scientific view. And as far as the truth question, I think the Hebrew view is looking reality more straightly in the face. I mean, the Hebrew view doesn't walk away from the grave. And what our common experience is of death, it doesn't deny death. That if there's anything that hints of immortality, it's a resurrection, not a, an immortal soul. It's the only answer in the Hebrew Bible. I think it's also the only thing that's really in the New Testament. I saw the dead, small and great, mm -hmm come forth from the grave. Uh, or rather, is, uh, death is birth and life is Immortality of the soul versus resurrection of the person. In the Judeo-Christian worldview, this is the afterlife battlefront. If the soul is immortal, the afterlife is sure and immediate. If the soul is not immortal, the afterlife, if there is one, would require a new contingent act of God, a resurrection at some future time. But other worldviews challenge the Judeo-Christian and offer other kinds of afterlives. If death can be survived, personal consciousness and existence would not be the same thing. Existence is the larger category, the superset, 
one can exist and not be personally conscious. Eastern religions teach this. To me, personal awareness is what counts. Existence alone, in some impersonal way, doesn't mean a whit. Existence without consciousness, even if glorious, is like owning a magnificent recording of Mahler's Second Symphony, but never listening to it. How to compare the contrasting visions of Eastern religions? I visit a broad-thinking theologian, the former Regis Professor of Divinity at Oxford, Keith Ward. Lives seem to be, in one sense, radically incomplete. If there were a God who created human lives to fulfill a purpose, that purpose doesn't look as though it is fulfilled in our earthly lives. It looks as though this is a, a training or a preparation for something that's going to continue. Does that mean that your belief in an afterlife is completely dependent upon the existence of God? Probably not. I, th I think it's quite possible to believe there's no personal God and to believe you, that human beings might uh, continue. I mean, Buddhists do. Sure, they sure. Clearly, it, there are yeah. people who believe yes. that. So it is possible, but in my own case, since you asked, yes, I uh, did. it's I did. because I believe God created human beings for a purpose and will enable that purpose to be completed. The reason I believe in an afterlife, uh, I have to say this as a Christian, is because I do think that Jesus was seen alive after his death by the apostles. So there's a certain amount of evidence there uh, that I myself would, would think was a good clue uh, to there being existence after death. So that, that's one religious basis for it. But of course, Jews and Muslims believe in resurrection without believing that Jesus rose from the dead. So um, it seems generally to be based on, a, on the belief that God will complete, and particularly if you go back to the problem of human suffering and, mm -hmm. and pain and frustration, that God will not allow pain and evil to have the last word. God might have made a universe as messy as this one is, uh, but God wouldn't let it be the end. So you cannot have a, a coherent theology or, or a coherent explanation for reality without the, an afterlife being a critical component of it. That's true. If, if I were sure that there was no afterlife, I would not be able to believe there was a creator God. There are some traditions which would have the individual merge into the cosmic consciousness and lose the individuality. There are two major uh, religious traditions. One is the Indian and the other is the Semitic, the Abrahamic. And they're quite different in the sense that the Abrahamic traditions believe in resurrection, which I take to mean a, a re-embodiment of the same persons and even the same universe, but in a different form. So it's a re-embodied world. And the Indian traditions which believe in rebirth, in reincarnation. Uh, and part of the rebirth ideology or way of thinking is that release from rebirth is a good thing. And when you're released, then you're released from identity with this personality and this body. They look radically different. Though, 
keep looking. And they begin with, as long as you're agnostic about each of them, yes. they become not so radically different because you say, what do you mean by a re-embodied body? I mean, how different is that from rebirth, from reincarnation? I would think that the, the critical differentiator is not the body in which you have the rebirth, but rather the, uh, the memory or the, the, the continuity of my own personality. Yeah. Well, for both traditions, that exists. There will be, after death, for all, virtually all religious traditions, some uh, memory, some continuity of character. The hard divisions come when you get further along the line, what happens ultimately, and you might say, I want to dissolve into the, the, self, the universal self, or, or not as the case may be. And you say, that looks like a big divide, but again, you look more closely. In the Christian tradition, there's a, a, a lot of talk about being in Christ. So that within Christianity, and it's true in many forms of Islam and Judaism too, um, you have a more mystical sense of union with the divine. But if I lose my individual personality or sense of self, then it's like I'm not participating in it, in a sense. But well, again, if you're talking about the end point, you know, uh, you have to be as reverently silent about this <laughs> as you do about the nature of God. Because right. if you don't know what the divine nature is and you say, but don't worry, you're going to be one with it, it's not much help, you see. So you'll be as incomprehensible as God by then. I'd like an afterlife, obviously. But I'm cautious not to be credulous. I want truth, not soporific comfort. If persons are only brains and bodies, there is certainly no afterlife. If there are other realms of existence, an afterlife is possible. If there is a God, an afterlife is probable. As for evidence of an afterlife, I find none. Revelation, one has to believe, have faith. For me, not so easy. What would an afterlife be? Would I be me? Would I know that I am me? I'd hope so. I am all for sharing the divine nature, but not so fast, thank you, if I must forfeit my personal identity. Bottom line, if there is an afterlife, sure, I'll take it. But skepticism frustrates hope. Getting closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.